Hello, and welcome back to the Arpsis podcast, a series by Bosler Arts offering a glimpse into the life of artists and activists from all over the world, here to share their stories with you, the listener. My name's Georgia, and to launch season four of the podcast, I'm delighted to bring you our first ever live podcast event that took place in London during Refugee Week. In the event, we spoke to three incredible artists, Lauren Yahuye, Olga Takachenko, and Gaf Taj Mohammed. And we unpacked their different experiences living in the diaspora within the UK, with Laura from Zimbabwe, Olga from Ukraine, and Gaf from Afghanistan. And also about how they maintain their mental health in the face of worsening situations within their home countries and within their communities here in the UK. We'd like to thank our partners for this event, the wonderful CounterPoints Arts. For those who don't know, CounterPoints Arts are a leading national organization in the field of arts, migration, and cultural change. Their mission is to support and produce the arts by and about migrants and refugees, seeking to ensure that their contributions are recognized and welcome within the UK arts history and culture. And just for this episode, the music you hear throughout the episode is by Ustavi a Syrian lawyer, violinist, social entrepreneur, and founder of Antica Culture and Diaspora CIC. Lauren Yahuye is a creative visionary. Born and raised in Zimbabwe, now based in Coventry, um, her work is heavily influenced by her African heritage. Laura's creative practice spans spoken word, poetry, and a palette of textures. In her work, she addresses social issues affecting women in migrant communities, such as marginalization, discrimination, and underrepresentation. And she's also the founder of Maoku, uh, working with artists from migrant backgrounds and showcasing their work. So welcome, Laura. Thank you. Gaff uh, is born in, was born in Pakistan and is of Afghan heritage and was displaced as a small child. He grew up in Southeast London and graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in painting at Camberwell College of Arts and also works as a curatorial assistant at the Migration Museum. And his current exhibition is what you see around us, so I'm really excited to ask you some questions on, about that coming up. And Olga Takachenko is a Ukrainian multidisciplinary artist and visual designer, working mostly with media such as collage, participatory projects, installation, and media art. The topics important to Olga are human vulnerability, its reflexivity, personal stories, inter interactions with others and with the world, and the creative manifestations of the individual. She is also currently Boston Arts' artist in residence, so we're really happy to have her here. So welcome, everyone. I want to start the podcast the way I start every single episode, um, which is by asking you all to think of a work of art or a piece of music, or a film, or a play that really, packed, really impacted you in your early life. So the reason I ask this is that even though I'm not a creative myself, um, when I was looking at what was going on in Egypt during the revolution in 2011, I came across this book called Walls of Freedom. And if I don't know if anyone's seen it, but it's basically a, a book that documents the events of the revolution through the street art at the time. And it basically changed my life and my whole direction of what I wanted to do. So, Olga, if we start with you, what comes to your mind when, we, when, when I ask you that question? Is there anything specific or maybe something generally that impacted your early creative life? Um, it's actually an interesting question because, like, um, 
I cannot recall anything like from my very early stage of life. Um, it's maybe I need to dig deeper and take some time for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, it's just like I will uh, improvise and maybe later I will come uh, <laughs> with something. Um, like rather recently I read uh, a book um, of maybe someone uh, someone knows it. Uh, it's Clarice Pincola's test, the women who run with the wolves. <laughs> and uh, she basically um, did a... Um, an investigation, research uh, of um, um, like legends and uh, fairy tales of different cultures and uh, did an analysis from the Jungian uh, psychology. So I just, uh, like, for me it was really therapeutic and I was just impressed how healing can it be. Mm. So for me it was like healing book and I was just, oh my God, it's like intersection of, different disciplines and like that's something what I also like um, trying to do in my practice like to make this intersection of different spheres um, into something like one and holistic Um, so maybe it's like yeah just something what came on my mind Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe other respondents can (laughs) say about this but um, and maybe I will come with something. No, that's really interesting. And I wonder, like, you talk, obviously you work across lots of different mediums. <clears throat> Excuse me. Could you tell us maybe a bit about your early life, um, where you grew up and, and really how you got influenced, like how arts, how you became interested and influenced by art? I was born, um, I would say, <laughs> not in a creative family. Mm-hmm. But now I changed my mind because my family started being so creative and I'm shocked. <laughs> so, yeah, um, maybe people change during their life and like um, it's also like a separate subject. Um, but uh, like my um, mother was a housewife uh, during like whole of her life and uh, my uh, father was uh, working in like facility sphere um, in Ukraine, in Krivorykh. Uh, and uh, I was born uh, and was raised in an um, uh, industrial city. It's like one of the biggest in- industrial cities, produces uh, metal and like we, um, uh, it's iron ore <laughs> um, uh, space. So yeah, it's just very industrial and there is like ecological hell. Uh, and we had basically only one, um, uh, only one gallery <laughs> for the whole huge city. And Laura, if I ask you the same question, can you think of something that really spiked your your love for the arts, especially in your younger, earlier life? Um, it wasn't so obvious then when I was growing up. Um, it's, it became more of like a reflection, mm-hmm. you know, looking back yeah. when I started to be very active in my career as, um, as an artist. Because when, when I was growing up, it was more, um, I was encouraged to do things like maybe being a secretary or mm-hmm. an accountant or something like this. But when I reflect back now, um, there was a lot of um, creativity yeah. around me. Uh, they, 
My mom was a seamstress. And my dad, I would say um, now, looking back, he was a producer of theater, but that was not his everyday job. So he did another job, like in the council. So that's what we knew like him as. But reflecting back now, it's like, oh, I can relate to this, I can relate to this. Um, So there was a lot of creativity in terms of, uh, you know, living around grandmas and uncles, your neighbors, they're weaving baskets Mm. or they're making cars out of little boys in the streets. They're making cars out of, um, you know, wires. Mm found found object, making art out of found objects. But in that time and in those moments, it is not art. It wasn't like art. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is creativity. But now it's something that I'm like, oh, that was amazing. And when you decided to become an artist, were your family and your community supportive of that, even if it was not the traditional route to kind of go through? Yeah, I would say that they were. But when I became like seriously took the route of uh, being an artist. My parents had passed on oh. already then because they passed on when I was like in my 20s. Okay. I was creative growing up in the sense that I, I used, I did a lot of sketching and I did make um, things around the house. So that was like, that was my creative thing, but mm-hmm. it wasn't my career Yeah. until... I started to run my own small business yeah. uh, in my in my 20s, and then I migrated mm-hmm. here. That's when my path really became more serious yes. in the arts, because it's creativity in the arts has always been something that I was interested in. Yeah. And I was curious to dig a bit deeper into exploring, especially in the line of textiles, mm-hmm. because I did... Um, interior design when I was uh, back home in, in, in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And Gaff, same question to you. When you. Can you think of a certain spark that got you interested in the arts? No, I think it picks up quite nicely off of Laura in terms of interior design. And um, yeah, I think for me, what that would be sort of the elements that make up your home. I think, although I migrated quite young, I came here quite young, I came here at three years old, I think my family brought Afghanistan back home with them or back to the UK with them. They essentially made a little bubble of Afghanistan in a area of Peckham and their home, we didn't have furniture, we had carpets everywhere. We had what we call tushag, which is like a futon sort of thing that you sit on. And uh, I think these things, sort of inspired me. I mean, I'm not sure how old everyone is here, but I think growing up, I didn't have a phone or didn't have internet at that time. It wasn't just kind of emerging from that time. So I think boredom was something that I was very familiar with. And uh, yeah, it wasn't easily accessible for stimulus. But um, something that I found myself to entertain myself with was the carpets. And I would sort of just like stare at these carpets that were all over the floor and just kind of play games, you know, make up games in your head. You jump from one motif to another, you know, you follow the borders of the carpets, you know, you might go into the center and just, 
don't know, make all sorts of games as you could. And I think for me, those patterns, those symbols, those shapes, all of those motifs, all of those kind of repetition, they really, I guess in a way, embedded into my eyes. And I think as I became an artist and I started growing up mm. and letting go of the, what you initially do, which is like you do portraits of celebrities or whatever. I mean, that's oh. how I kind of started off for manga and stuff like this. Once you shed a lot of that and start to look for yourself, I found patterns emerging constantly. I found these shapes, these, mm, yeah, just these patterns that came up quite a lot. And it may seem a bit obvious now sitting here behind a painting that is, has quite a lot of shapes in the in of itself. But um, I think for me, I think that would be quite a, quite influence. Yeah, and it's very telling that you say that when your exhibition is also called Afghan War Rugs Reimagined. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the ex- this exhibition that we're looking at and, um, yeah, a bit about what you, why you made it and, and what it means. Yeah, I guess with Afghan war rugs, I think war rugs are sort of a unconventional form of Afghan rugs that are not seen so mm, traditionally in terms of the traditional rugs that you may see. They have a lot of more of a um, pictorial imagery of violence that depict um, situations of conflict that Afghanistan went through and is often told as a documentation, a textile documentation of Afghanistan's conflict over the decades. And for me, this exhibition is a form of looking at the diaspora community of Afghanistan in the UK and how we look backwards to our homelands whilst being in the country that we are distant from our home and seeing our home go through more, go through the fall of Kabul, which was in 2021, and how that, in essence, this exhibition is a continuation of those war rugs, but in a more contemporary or more up-to-date documentation, but also taking less of a visceral violence imagery, but rather expressing the migration stories and the lived stories of people from the community whose voices are often not heard, but also whose voices are often twisted into traumatic tales to commodify rugs. And I think for me, this exhibition was a, was a moment to be able to tell the story in a different light, but also allow people to tell their own story as well. Yeah. And I think actually one thing that really connects the three of you is this sense of working collaboratively um, with the community, with artists from your same background and and learning about the, uh, you know, hearing the stories of of people from your communities. Gaff, could you tell us a bit about the process of of interviewing um, and talking to people from your community and, and what you kind of learn and found by their stories? Um... I think I learned that my art can't represent them. Mm. I think that's what I learned immediately. I kind of, they told me, they shared with me, I asked them questions that were quite personal and they were very open and very, very willing to share with me what they went through and in hearing that, the weight of responsibility, but also the weight of, of feeling like, how on earth do I make a piece of work off of this? Like, this is so human, this is so 
real, this is so lived. Like, how on earth can you make an artwork of this? There's no, nothing I can paint that could possibly portray this. And so therefore, I often tell people that the work is not representation of their stories at all. It's purely a response to what I heard. And I, I leave the interviews there purely for the sake to be heard directly, to not allow for any disruptance in that way. I mean, their voices are there and the work is a response to that. So I think mm-hmm. in learning, I think I learned that reality. I learned yeah. the reality of like, my limitations as an artist in terms of telling the community stories, I can't, even though if I myself may associate myself to Afghanistan, that doesn't mean that I can tell Nigel's story when she was in Afghanistan during the evacuation and mm. she was flying full on out. I can't. It's not my... I don't have limitations, I think, yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. and But I think also the, the idea of just having that as a document, as a record, and it's actually is so important to hear, as you said already, the the voices that, even if Afghanistan is in the news, the actual voices of the people are so often excluded from that. Although in a different way, um, you're currently collaborating with us actually for a a project. Um, We've got a upcoming uh, magazine and pop-up exhibition featuring the work of seven Ukrainian artists that you have curated and chosen. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that sense of now being outside of Ukraine and kind of collaborating with artists still there and some of the things, the thought process behind selecting artists, but also, yeah, working with them and what what is important to you when doing that? Um, yeah, it's just a really, like, complex question. Mm. <laughs> um, because, like, maybe um, it's interesting to be kind of it's strange and both complex and interesting to be like from the both side because like I'm as an art representative as well (laughs) so like an artist Ukrainian Mm -hmm. artist so I represent one side and the other side like a curator who just like makes a decision (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. I just want to feature so many artists but uh, of course like the concept of (laughs) Vosla is like only seven artists and the eighth is like the big spectator. Uh, yeah, so um, it was a hard decision, but I needed to make it somehow. Uh, but I chosen like with my, I don't know how to call it, like that feeling. It's mm-hmm. just like people, like some of them I know personally. So some of them I just like, um, it was, I don't know, like the cross of our paths during my different stages of life. I lived in different cities of Ukraine and met new people, like from the art scene. Um, and I find for some reason them really kind of resonating with my, me personally. So of course it's like subjective. Um, but I also find that like all of them were really like, I feel that they were so thankful for like, um, having this opportunity to get, give them a voice, like here, like um, in another country, like um, to be heard. And um, uh, I feel it's really important for people uh, from arts, from like for creatives to like have this um, opportunity to speak um, is in this language <laughs> to mm-hmm. other audiences, to different audiences. And um, it was really insightful because, like, even during the process of making this uh, magazine, 
there are a lot of insights and how like um, it's interesting that these are people I tried to pick people from with different uh, practices so it is uh, like photographers um, film director um, uh, fine artist uh, like uh, collage maker and um, um, also like musician <laughs> and it was like um, interesting how a lot of things uh, like of course like through their own media but how much common we had uh, mm-hmm. with our feelings and it was like oh wow there couldn't be like <laughs> so many coincidences because of course when we faced the full-scale war of course the war started in uh, 2014 but the full-scale war is when it has touched literally the, everyone in Ukraine um, and um, when we just faced it for the first very first day no one knew how to react it was like a very strange feeling you cannot even explain and because you never felt it and like is it normal to feel like this it's like is it okay if, is it okay that i have like ah then we understand like psychotherapists say that it's called survival syndrome ah okay like you know like it's always like a lot of um like openings um mm-hmm. like yeah discoveries sorry uh discoveries and um yeah it's just a cocktail but then when you like um when this moment of being absolutely down comes then you have some kind of aggressive energy to create and to make something you just remember okay i'm not only a volunteer but i also can make art and reflect and help people maybe somehow through my art and um, i feel that it was like for me it was really vulnerable to like feel the emotions of different artists yeah um, yeah so <laughs> Actually, it's it's really insightful and vulnerable if just to take, uh, like, in general, yeah. to say, yeah, to no. characterize the practice. Yeah. No, thank you so much. And I definitely resonate with that. When I was reading, you know, what the artist had written, I think every single artist said this one of the same things, which was like, I'm just so uh, grateful to be able to do what I want to do, which is to work and to paint and create. So thank you so much. And Laura, obviously, collaboration and working with your community is so central to both your personal practice and your work. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about how you work with your communities and, yeah, how that really started for you and and what it means to your work. Um, How it started for me was, uh, like I said, I was interested in the textiles. Uh, So when I went to Kovuni, Coventry University as a mature student to study art. Um, But alongside that, the journey of being a migrant had a lot of impact um, in my studies because there were personal challenges that were going on in my my life. And then I also had to balance the, the, the life of being a student, but also being a mom. Um because I'd left my daughter who was, uh, like I left my daughter back home. I left her when she was five years old. She was a bit older then when I went into uni. And then I had my second child whilst I was here. So there was a lot of things that were going on in my personal space and managing um, managing that, that space. I then 
started to realize that actually being an artist is becoming some form of therapy for me. Mm. So that that was like something that I just discovered. At that moment, in those days, I didn't know that there was anything. I think art therapy was still new those yeah. days. So I didn't know there was something called art therapy, but it was working for me. So I would go into uni, I would forget everything that's happening in my personal space. So then I had someone who is from my community, who's I call Gogo from Zimbabwe, who then encouraged me to volunteer at the refugee center. Mm -hmm. So I resisted that for at least three years because I wanted to really pursue my career in the, you know, in the textile industry, in the fashion world. In, yeah. that's, that was my focus then. But then I volunteered, the first day that I volunteered, that, that was it for me. That's how I got into arts and community because I then realized that, okay, this space that was working for me, uh, being therapy for me, yeah. it's actually useful for this group of women that I'm working with. But not only was it for them, but I was also finding comfort. Yes. in that process. Yeah. So that's how I got into arts and community. That's so interesting. And I can, yeah, it's such an amazing idea that you just takes one day to see how much, you know, it could change your whole practice. And how, so do you continue to, how do you continue to work with communities today in your work? Um, so what, it's a, it's a long story, isn't it? So I'm, I'm just trying <laughs> to narrow it down. Take your time. Like my whole life. <laughs> um, so, so what then happened was that, <laughs> you know, when you open a sentence with what happened, it's, long, yeah. it's a long story. So, <laughs> so what happened was I, I then, we started like a group. Mm -hmm. with the, the, the lady that I'm saying she really was on my case. I thank God for her. So we started a community group. That's when, in that space, this, I was, okay, now doing community and arts and in some form of like, not a formal organization, mm -hmm. but it was a community group. And then on the other hand, I was pursuing my path mm -hmm. as an artist. So... I started to learn different things from, from my path as an artist, but also with the community that I became a real migrant, basically. I was a migrant before I engaged <laughs> But then, like, listening to other people's stories, but also trying to find um, opportunities for myself. Mm. So then that's when I started to discover, like, really understanding that being, being a migrant being someone who, who you know, like whose English is not their first language and being a black woman, being just being different yeah. is, a, is a challenge. Mm. So not only is this sector a challenging sector, but it's, it's also there are other layers that come with being someone who's coming from the, the other side. So my work in my personal practice, in my practice, really shifted because of the impact that my personal life had on me, but also the impact that 
just being in the community in the UK, like the way it impacted me. So it shifted and it became about migrants. It became about activism. And it really strongly became about really creating pieces of work that spoke about women mm. and strength and really encouraging and drawing out um, the gifts and talents that they have. Mm. And then later on, years went by. In 2017, that's when Mawoko, the organization, was born. It started to reach out to communities and young people. And yeah. yeah. Amazing. Really amazing. And kind of thinking about mental health and the arts, I mean, I was wondering, Gaff, how you, how the role of kind of mental health and arts work, plays out for you as well. I can only imagine um, being in the UK and witnessing the fall of Kabul and everything that happened in 2021 um, and being connected also to the communi diaspora community must have been a real challenge for, for all of you. And I wonder how you view your own mental health and the mental health of your communities when it comes to creating art. Do you find that it brings people together or do you find that it can sometimes hinder your creative practice? Um, for me, when this was happening, I um, leading up to that point, I kept telling people I was okay. Like, I'm all good. I'm fine. My family's here. We're okay. You know, I was working with a charity that was in Afghanistan and they told me that we had to stop the work because the situation wasn't working at the moment, so we had to just stop. And I was like, okay, I understand. Like, that makes sense. I remember people coming up to me telling me like, oh, why aren't you angry enough? Like, why aren't you frustrated? Why aren't you angry? And I was, I was too busy being sad. So I just, I was like, okay, I understand where you're coming from, but that's not what I'm feeling. I'm not feeling anger at the moment. And I think for me, in terms of my mental health, I think that really snapped when I saw the billboard just having the title of the fall of Kabul just blazed out there on that billboard, just clearly on that date, trying to get home after like a long day and just seeing that, seeing that same thing that I would see as a child growing up, seeing Afghanistan blazing the same exact same slogan sort of ideas. And I think for me, my mental health, that, that's what really took me down. And I think in terms of making art, I think, you know, it's, it's process. It's, it's moments spent trying to, you know, if you make art, you spend so much time on your own. You know, you make so, spend so much time on your own, like late nights, just sat there sort of trying to draw something. And you go through emotions, you go through thoughts, you have all sorts of conversations. Not Most of them are absolutely useless and benign and like random, but I think that time spent is really important in terms of just processing what you have felt and healing from that. And I think for me with this project, after having made a piece in response and trying to process my feelings from this, I then went and I thought to myself about how the community felt, because if that was me, then they must have also felt quite bad. So I went out and asked them, and I think the interviews that we made together I could tell that they were still processing, even though it was two years onwards, like we were still mm. feeling this. We were still very shook and we were still very, a little bit ups, upset and our mental health hadn't necessarily 
recovered completely. So I think, yeah, I mean, art definitely, definitely helps. I think it doesn't have to physically be an outcome of like a painting or outcome of a moment, even just a moment spent together, sitting down, asking somebody these questions that, I mean, if you could call that art, that was, that was quite good for our mental health, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Hi, I'm Hassan Fazola, co-founder of Bosla Arts. Did you know we just launched our third issue of our magazine? This issue is called The Brink, featuring the work from seven artists from Ukraine who examine how their work has changed since the full-blown invasion last year. Find out more and pre-order your copy today at boslaarts.com. B-O-S-L-A-A-R-T-S.com. And Olga, just to think about how it's been for you. Obviously, you've been in the UK for a very short time. And obviously, the, the situation in Ukraine is, continues to be very bad. And I was wondering what place art has for you personally as a space, or whether it's, yeah, how you, how you, what your relationship to art is today and how maybe it has changed since the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Um, like, yeah, <laughs> honestly, to say it's like, it's really hard. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just like um, the last um, weeks, it was like <laughs> some person just asked, how am I? <laughs> and I was like, burst into tears and it was just crazy. I said, oh my gosh, I just feel so embarrassed. Um, and um, it's like... Um, through the arts, I find that it's like, for me, it's like, um, how to call it, metaphor. <laughs> like, it's like a survivor belt, uh, or not a belt, yeah. like when you're like droning and this round. Life jacket. Not, maybe, <laughs> let's say life jacket. Um, yeah, I find that arts helps me a lot, like, um, because um, it's like, again, what I maybe thought already said already it's um like you cannot express unfortunately everything with the words <laughs> and um different kinds of self-expression it can be anything like um song it can be a dance it can be of course like um visual arts or anything like um self-expression in other um through different um, ways is really, really helpful. That's why, like, art therapy maybe is so important as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, um, to express, to have this additional uh, instruments. And, um, yeah, um, I find that it's, of course, great. And I'm, like, of course, like, I'm, every day I'm thankful, like, about the, for the situation I'm in. Because, of course, like, I'm privileged and... I mentioned about like this uh, survival <laughs> and syndrome, um, what every Ukrainian feels, no matter where they are, uh, because someone is suffering uh, and you feel kind of guilty. Why, mm. like, yeah, why it's not, it's not you. Yes, it's like someone else. Um, but there is this connection, and um, it's also like hard because I live now in two realities simultaneously. Of course, like. I can say like more realities, but let's say two. <laughs> One of them is like here, because it's extra. It's like the middle of everything. It's like 
many things happening here, uh, art-wise, creative-wise. Um, people are so great and open, and uh, also uh, I feel that there are so many opportunities. Um, and when, for example, a week ago, uh, my hometown was bombed and like 11 people died, uh, 30 people were uh, injured, and it was literally like really close to my uh, the uh, house where my parents lived. And uh, when I just heard this news, like we have um, time zone difference of, with Ukraine, was in two hours. So I received the news like in the early morning when I woke up and like a lot of messages like, how are your parents? So we are like, so regretting what happened. Like, fuck, what happened? It's like so scary when you receive just a lot of messages. And then, like, your uh, parents say, we're okay, uh, we're good, and you're just, like, lying the whole day on the floor and, like, cannot do anything, though you're not there. And, like, when you're not there, it sometimes feels even harder. And, like, my parents like, oh, we're okay, everything is so fine, and they're, like, holding well. But, yeah, it's just a cocktail uh, of emotions every day. And, like, yeah, with the dams, it also, like, brought me down a lot. Um, so, of course, it's like, I'd say, like, mental health <laughs> is really, um, it's hard for me. I'm taking antidepressants now. It's like, just like, without them, I, maybe I wouldn't um, function uh, well. But um, it's like, this the reality you should, like, face <laughs> and think, like, okay, now it's like, my reality will never be the same as it was, like, almost, like, before the... February 2022. So now you just learn to live um, differently and to like um, make things like considering all these situations and opportunities you have now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really great um, that for example, like Bosla <laughs> uh, gave me this opportunity to be in the residency um, through the artists at risk um, community, like uh, that uh, I really don't need to think a lot about money earning, for example. I can just like now focus on my arts, on my projects, uh, and this is really great. It's really therapeutic. And uh, also, like, uh, I have a mental health support recently. <laughs> like, uh, talking to psychotherapists also helps. So, yeah, it's just, uh, sorry, it's like really emotional thing yeah. for me. So, no, maybe I'm it. just like, um, yeah. Um, maybe like shortly that's what I feel it's really yeah. hard <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that and I think you know I think people always assume that if someone has been removed from the situation they're in um, that everything's fine and actually it's only the beginning of what is a really long journey of you know I can imagine just going through what you went through last week and then someone saying how are you like nice to see you and it must actually be <laughs> so yeah. hard and it kind of comes to the last kind of questions I wanted to ask the three of you um, before we go to the audience, which is about resilience. Because at Bosler Arts, our last issue was, a, it was called Beyond Resilience. And it was basically Faz and I thinking, getting tired of, I guess, hearing the word resilient to, be, to describe communities or people in a country facing terrible situations because as you've just described, being resilient is not a, a choice. It's something you are forced to be when you're in the very worst of situations. 
And so our, our magazine really looked at the artists who were, of course, resilient because they were in terrible, terrible um, positions, but were still, you know, using their art as a form of action, expression and advocacy. And I really wanted to talk to you, Laura, about this because you have a project called Resilience Friend or Foe. And so I was hoping you could start by just telling us a little bit about that and what it's all about. Yep. So the, the project really came from um, an exi a touring exhibition that I have. It's called I, Mi I Migrated. So I Migrated was exploring um, women who are from migrant backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And they were sharing their stories. And then I was responding to them in my own um, creative form. Um, but what really was coming up, I could resonate to it as a migrant woman as well, is there was a lot of like frustration around being resilient. Like you have to be mm -hmm. strong, you have to be strong. And I was also at a point in my life where I was questioning myself mm -hmm. in terms of when do I actually press the stop button in this space of you have to keep going, you have to yeah. keep pressing on, you have to keep pressing on. Um, so that question came, came that then, you know, I would say gave birth to the project. Um, resilient, is it, is it a friend or four? So it's really, again, I'm, I'm exploring that, that question from my own lenses, mm -hmm. but I'm also, I'm taking it to the communities and asking them the same question. Mm -hmm. So I responded to it in um, responding to specific moments in my life that were quite significant in terms, and then I, would, I created pieces of art. So there was a moment that changed my life around um, my experience of domestic abuse. So that's one art form that's like, exploring that topic mm -hmm. that is will now like go out to communities we'll be talking about that and then there's one around marriage and actually in keeping with like you know marriage and how some are forced to get married mm -hmm. and some choose to live together what does actually marriage mean to us mm -hmm. like you know as, as a people and then the other one is around motherhood. Because in, in my own personal space, again, as a migrant woman, I moved and then I'm raising my two girls as a single parent and not having a network yeah. of uh, the people that I call my family, except for my now adopted families mm -hmm. that I found like in the UK. But what does that actually mean? Because I have a culture that I come from and they are also growing up in another culture. Mm -hmm. The balance of that and the pressing on of being a mom yeah. in this space. So all of that, it comes with, um, there is the question of resilience. There's a question of like, what does it mean to be a resilient as a migrant woman? And um, what, what was that another topic? It's actually the other one. It's called what's in my head, what's in your head. It's again exploring the thoughts, the thought processes, the conversations that we have with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like in terms of what you were talking about, like 
you had a conversation that broke you down. And it's a result of, you know, like all these other layers of things that are going on in our in our everyday in our everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. And and the question comes back of resilience. I know that I need it in order to keep going. Yeah. But when do I press the stop button? So is it a friend or is it a foe? Mm. That's so, so interesting. And I think it definitely does, yeah, speak to this kind of, I mean, you mentioned women as well, because I think it is it's something that's often said about women and also pushed on women. And that, you know, it makes me think a lot about the way that the women of Afghanistan, for example, are talked about and um, how, you know, I remember when Kabul fell and, you know, lots of celebrities were putting pictures of themselves saying, like, we stand with the, the women of Afghanistan, but in reality, no one did anything. And the kind of, the kind of the sense of this image of the woman from Afghanistan and kind of repressed. And I was wondering what your your feelings of resilience are, especially in the, the UK context. Um... Look like I was watching a video of the people in the airport in my bedroom trying to process feelings and seeing people in the airport running off to this plane and like the comments in that aspect of like people writing down comments on YouTube as anonymous like oh look at these cowards who gave up their country so easily where's their resistance where's their resilience you know like how could you fall so easily mm. you know I feel like resilience is there's a, there's a piece behind this war called um, God Willing and it's the idea of a broken rifle and the idea of like, you know, what that symbol comes from is a long-lived um, symbol of anti-war resistance. And um, usually there's two hands that break the rifle. But in that piece, I chose not to include a hand because I don't know who is the one to ask to be resilient in this situation. Mm. I think... I think for the UK context, I think with resilience, I think we have to be resilient in all forms, really. Like, I don't really know. I just, yeah. um, yeah. No, thank you so much. And Olga, um, just to kind of draw on resilience in your context, I mean, we've spoken a lot about your personal resilience and the resilience of everyone uh, in Ukraine at the moment. But I think while collaborating on this magazine, when I was reading it through, I also got this sense of people not just um, not just being resilient and, and getting on with their lives, even though they are, but also going really a step beyond through their volunteering, through their advocacy. Through, I mean, I think everyone I've spoken to has really, there's this huge sense of uh, kind of a united front for, for the cause. Maybe you could tell us a bit about, um, yeah, what what were some of the the quite instant changes that happened uh, amongst Ukrainians when when the full scale invasion happened? Yeah, it's just like um, changed everyone a lot. Like we're just different people now. Absolutely, I can say that. And like um, on a, of course, I can tell maybe from the perspective of my own bubble, from my own, own surrounding and people. 
Um, for my friends, of course, because <laughs> you don't have much source to just capture everyone, uh, what they're feeling. But um, for me, I guess like Ukrainians now just equal resilience. I didn't know what resilience is before the full-scale war because I feel it's like crazy. It's just like you, I can, I didn't, couldn't even imagine that people can go through so many things. Of course, it's like um, when you just know and read and like um, receive personal stories. It's like, you know, when you see this in, like, statistical information is one point. But when you hear this like personal stories, how much each person uh, like went through, which obstacles. And um, for example, like I would say maybe just some particular examples, like uh, one of my best friends who, whom I never in my life imagined that he will take the weapon in his hands. And he's like, he's a extra, like uh, the kindest person I've ever known. He's a thin guy, a programmer, a geek. And then he, I just received um, information that he is in the army and he's going to, like, <laughs> to the military. <laughs> I was just like shocked because you just like, it's like something strange like what happens in my head right now. Like it's, it cannot be the, something real. And yeah, so now basically he is um, on the borderline in the, if you know, like Marinka, it's like more eastern part, it's like destroyed city now. And uh, since God, he started operating drones because before that he was sitting in the trenches. Uh, there is no, like, you know, privilege. You're just going, <laughs> everyone is just going in the same situation. And then, like, kind of people figure out, ah, this is smart, so he can maybe operate drones. Uh, so also, like, um, I feel that this war is like we have this resilience now because of the donations of each citizen, each conscious and like, at least like, that's why we say that uh, there are no small donations, even if we just, for example, refuse uh, to buy coffee today and like uh, donate uh, the price of the coffee. It's a lot. If uh, each person will donate this uh, amount of money, we just uh, buy, for example, we buy uh, new vehicles, like um, we buy um, weapons, we buy uh, drones, and this is so crazy. Like also for my friend, for example, another friend of mine, he collects all this money and then he brings everything to my other friend. <laughs> so it's like basically, it's how to say, it's like a folk war <laughs> like it's like of course sometimes people like I mean um, other countries support us but we cannot just allow to wait so such long you know like, like decision making or they're adopting or they're like deciding and, like it takes a uh, really uh, long time and uh, it's I think it's something really uh, new in the history in general so it's just like the war during social media and like how we just spread information. Um, so yeah, uh, it's just, I feel we're like now, um, it's an interesting feeling of uniting and like we're like the whole, whole organism. So each person does something and it's really important to do. Like you can do nothing, at least like be okay. <laughs> it will be something. 
and just continue uh, work. Uh, but it's not enough for us. So uh, except making our own work, we try to make something extra. Um, and for me, it's like, yeah, the synonym of resilience. Um, and um, um, yeah, okay, uh, let's stop here. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you. And I, I, it's, it's very amazing. Um, I mean, to witness and it makes sense, I guess. So I just wanted to, first of all, thank you, the three of you, and now move it to the audience. If anyone has any questions you'd like to ask uh, Laura Gaff or Olga, please, uh, please do. We've got a microphone going around as well. Uh, hi, guys. Um, firstly, thank you very much for, for sharing everything. It's been really interesting to learn about your lives. Um, I guess my question is for everyone. Um, you mentioned about uh, the question about mental health and how that's affected your, your art um, because of the recent events. My question would be how, since moving to the UK, how has your art evolved generally um, relative to events in your countries? Mm. Um, and is that process something where, you know, you? compartmentalize and sort of ignore that or do you approach it full on what's that what is that like for you yeah um that's a good question i um i think that with afghanistan it's not like the fall of kabul and that's it this is from 1960 when the soviet invaded afghanistan all the way back there and then american influence in that country as well I think there's so many different layers and I think, you know, looking at it from a child growing up, I think the work was very much about, let me showcase the narrative or let me showcase the brilliance of our culture in a positive light. Let me change the narratives because it's, so, it's told in this one, one linear story so often. And so my energy purely came from this aspect of, I know my country is beautiful. I've been there when I was nine. I've seen all these incredible things. Why aren't people focusing on this? And then when the fall of Kabul happened, and I'm like, okay, these people will not let go of this narrative. And my country will be known for this. Okay, this has been going on for 50 years. Let me take charge. Let me speak. And let me tell the, the conflict, the aspect of conflict. Let us say it through our voices rather than just be told through the media through that way. So I think after that one, it took a very, took a very proactive energy, I think. So I think... Yeah, it's got different phases for me, and my work definitely shifted depending on the phase. Okay. Uh, so thanks for the question. I feel that um, this time, I'm just like here for two and a half months, maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so not long. Uh, but I feel that this time is actually um, so productive for me. Uh, I. I feel that I did a lot. Like one of the reasons of that, that I have kind of, you know, I'm catching this opportunity while I, I'm on the, on the residency and I like kind of, oh, it's three months residency. I just want to take as more as possible from this period. And uh, I uh, like normally I don't have this uh, privileged opportunity like not to go to the job like or not to uh, freelance or like to take to corporate stuff. But um now, and I also like feel that I'm, it's interesting that I'm kind of, I feel that I'm angry inside 
very angry side, and I'm transforming this aggression into something like, okay, I will just do this, and like, um, I just feel that it helps me, like this aggressive energy, to transform it into something kind of creative. Let's say sublimate or <laughs> this word. Um, I feel it's really precious, like here in this environment. Like, um, because in, in Ukraine it's different. Um, and also, like, the projects we're doing and, like, finishing soon. Um, and, yeah, it, and it was, like, not only this project. <laughs> also, like, um, having practice in Royal Drawing School. And uh, there I just, like, I feel that when i just making things, like, technical even, like, improving my technical skills, I just distract myself. It helps a lot, like... Um, and also, like, I have some interesting outcomes out of that. And it's, like, additional boost for my uh, creative practice. And, like, also, like, um, environment here, you go to any, like, gallery and, like, you capture more and more inspiration. Or, like, we went together to IYY exhibition recently uh, in the Design Museum. And it also, like, gave me a lot of food for mm-hmm. digest process. Like, oh, my God, it's so powerful. Like, yeah, yeah how you can just tell about your country through arts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just, like, great time, I feel, for arts, yes. Mm. Uh, for me, I would say the, the process, the, the, the transition from what I was initially interested in and then the impact of migrating and observing other migrants was quite um, powerful in the sense that it it was negative, but it actually produced what I believe to be positive, something that was very positive for my life because it really drew me closer to my faith in terms of God. So I always say like I have two pillars in my life. My faith grew really strong because I became very dependent in, in my faith. And then in order to make sense, I started to see that in order for me to make sense of the challenges that were going on around me, my writing, because I also write, I started to write in order to also make sense of the world that was around me, around, you know, the, the whole thing about migration. And then there was a lot of energy, there was a lot of drive that I wouldn't say that this drive was new because growing up, I've always been that, that young person who was curious to know why is this going on? How can we, how do we find the solution to this problem? So I shifted my energy into that because my question that was really like a real driving force was if a woman who is who has been in the UK for 30 years is still striving to settle and they they don't believe that they can really share their skills as a scientist or as a mathematician all these women are like you know that i'm meeting are very intelligent women what about the children what about my children what about the next generation so those questions became such a driving force for me in my own practice, but also for us as we are going along as an organization to say, hey, 
you are a migrant. Yes, there is a lot of pressure on you as a refugee, as an asylum seeker. However, where you are coming from, you have something to give in this new space. So because I experienced it for myself, it became so important for me to draw the people around me. So that's how my um, creative path was shifted. Hopefully I've answered. Thank you so much. Great question as well. Anyone else? I think we have time for one more question. Diana. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask a question about the artists who are coming in your footsteps behind you, younger artists perhaps. If you were, let's say, mentoring somebody, what are maybe one or two learnings from your own practice that you would share with, with others? And also, um, so I work at Counterpoint Art and networking and exchanges with, between artists is so important. What are kind of the forms of networking or, um, or being in conversation with, with other artists that you appreciate, that you've learned? Um, that you like. The first question about people coming afterwards sort of thing, I think that's absolutely like so on point to where my thought is in terms of why I try to do a lot of what I do because I think I think to myself that when I'm when I'm a, when I'm when I was a child I would have loved to see an artist in a situation like myself to be able to be showcase the country in a different light and to be able to be like look at us this is where we are but as a child I didn't get to see that so I felt the need to revoke my heritage deny it or reject it and I feel like for me I just want you know even tomorrow when there's a community of Afghans being driven over here to do a talk on Afghan art and artists and where we're going to showcase the different kind of global Afghan artists around the world and how we are all making work and how you know, there'll be families coming in with their mothers and their kids and they themselves will, you know, these young children will see the different types of talent, not just me, but also people who are so far more incredibly talented than me. And I'm hoping that that will inspire and encourage other Afghan children to take up a paintbrush, a pencil or whatever it is to express themselves and showcase our, our brilliance. And in, um, in the question about networks and and um, connectivity, I think, again, like, um, you know, this is a solo exhibition, but it's not a solo effort. I think so much of what I've done here has been so, like, directly entwined with the people that I'm around and working with. And I'm so grateful for all the people that have been around me. But also beyond that, working in the Migration Museum as a curatorial assistant, I find so much energy in championing other artists to be able to be like, look at this artist, look at how incredible they are and like display their work and, and handle their work and just for a moment step back and be the person to highlight somebody else. I think it's really, it really energizes me in a lot of ways. And I, I see it also in you know, the um, initiatives that you pull forward and also the artists that you've selected for your kind of publication. I think there's, there's a moment where, you know, you go beyond yourself to point out others. And I think art is a, is a scene and that scene is not made by one person. So I think, yeah. Yeah, you summed up it very good. <laughs> um, sometimes, I'm sorry, uh, maybe I just like don't understand clearly or hear clearly. Did you mean like if I was a mentor, right? Mentor? Uh, then what, what would I kind of say? Like a couple of, yeah, like recommendations. Like for now, like in the context of our 
conversation now. And like uh, what I also like, I really like to reflect myself a lot. It's just something not <laughs> during the full scale world as before. Um, I feel that now what I learned is like um, how uh, think it's important to be thankful and not to take things for granted. I find it's like even like having a shower, um, having like a cup of coffee on the balcony is just like such a privilege. Oh my God. Like when just like, you know, like blackouts, we have like different obstacles, of course. And like, even when we didn't have light <laughs> and we didn't take it for, like for granted before and like how we appreciate now this like simple things. I would like to just uh, point on it. It's like, please uh, don't take <laughs> things for granted. It's like so, like it's not obvious, but it's so um, important, like um, to be thankful for everything. And um, also like how important it, it um, like how people are <laughs> important, like um, all types of communication, um, of support. I mean, like um, when you're like on the edge, like, the only thing that matters is like people and community and um, how they, they can support you psychologically. Um, and it also, of course, like here in, um, in London, um, and not even London, so also like about like taking inspiration from other um, people, from other creatives. And it, it's, it shouldn't be like actually creatives. <laughs> It can be like um, anyone. You can just uh, be inspired um, and just have this interesting point, uh, viewpoint. And um, it's, it's always powerful, I find it. So maybe, thank you, yeah. Um, I'd like to hear your question again, because I didn't fully understand. <laughs> I was trying to catch properly. <laughs> Differently, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe you can say it again, or I can summarize. It was largely around advice to other artists, artists who might be developing similar kind of practice to yourselves. Because, um, I mean, all of you, you work quite differently, so I was quite interested to hear how you might take that question. But um, uh, this idea of having conversation across kind of generation and experience. And also, um, you have such experience <laughs> that you could pass on to somebody who's starting. Or, and socially engaged practices kind of, um, you sort of, you obviously um, develop it your, yourself. Um, it's maybe, you know, maybe it's linked to your own identity or heritage or, uh, or you know, how you co-create with other people. Um, but uh, uh, now it's ended up being a very long question. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, sort of mentoring others, um, that kind of relationship is really appreciated by younger artists. And I'll, I'll, I think I'll leave the other <laughs> I, I'll say, like, with younger artists, I think I can give it as an example of how we've worked with younger artists. So um, we've had young artists who come into the organization and they, they know that they're interested in the arts, 
but they don't really know which area of interest or whether they have like the place in the world. So one, I think one of the most important thing that I found is that when they see someone whom they can connect with, like maybe someone who looks like them or maybe someone who's coming from, you know, a, a migrant background because we work largely with migrant communities. So that's, that's huge already. That's a huge obstacle. And then um, in terms of working with them and encouraging them to explore and be in the arts as they want to be, it's more of, I would say, how we practice, well, how I've supported young people is more of actually hand-holding and allowing them to take a position within the organization that they feel that they can, but also allow them to away from that. So they can come in to support social, like social media, but they then discover that they're actually interested in curating. So we normally call it like a place of grace. Yeah, that's a very beautiful note to end on. <laughs> uh, can I have a round of applause for Laura? We'd like to thank Laura, Olga, Gaff and Ostavi for taking part in our live podcast event. If you'd like to learn more about their work, please find links in the description. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Art Persist podcast. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please review and share it online. Only with your help can these important stories be heard. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Thank you.